Welcome to Human Potential at Work, the show where we explore social impact, inclusion, and empowerment of everyone, including persons with disabilities. Your host is Deborah Rue, CEO of Rue Global Impact and co-founder and chairwoman of Billion Strong, an identity and empowerment organization designed to bring billions of voices of persons with disabilities together. To join the global community and to donate to the cause, visit billion-strong.org. That's billion-strong.org. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Deborah Rue. I'm just getting back in the States from Vienna. It has been such a long time since I traveled internationally, and it was it was really wonderful experience at Zero Project. Um, I'm, I'm excited about my guest today because um, I got introduced to her sort of in a different way. And she was speaking, and there, there was a bunch of people um, in this call we were having. And when she talked, I was like, wow, 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 wow. So um, I immediately invited her to my show. And she did confess this is one of the first shows that she's been on. She's a little teeny bit nervous, but she's going to be amazing, amazing. So um, I, I want deep deep you to, because I know I'm going to say your name wrong. So please, I want you to introduce yourself. But before we do, let me do a quick visual description. I am a, a mature white woman with gray and purple and white hair. And I have on pink and black dress today. And I'm so excited to welcome to the, you to the program. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you so much, Deborah, for inviting me. I am so honored to be invited, and I'm excited to speak with you today about wherever our conversation goes, but digital health specifically. I agree. I agree. So tell us a little bit about what you do. I know you're a physician assistant, yes. and um, I have a. I, I'm, I really love working with physician assistants. I was telling you offline that often when I would be asked, well, the doctor's a little busy. Can you see the physician assistant? I'm like, yes. Even if the doctor isn't busy, can I pick the physician's assistant? Because I find often I'm listened to more and I feel like somebody takes more time with me. And so I actually prefer to work with a PA instead of a doctor. I don't know if other people are having that experience, but I am. Well, so thank you so much for saying that, because that is exactly what we as a profession strive to do, right? Like, and that's not to say that physicians don't spend time with their patients. Of course right. they do. Um, but I think the crux and the core of our education as PAs is about listening to patients empathetically, sympathetically, and really taking the time to spend time with them to listen to their concerns, whether it be an earache or something even more serious. Uh, we take that, um, that, that kind of competency or that learning very, very seriously, and we bring it to every aspect of, the, of care that we provide, whether it's with patients or other caregivers that, we would be, that who would be part of that caregiving team. And then I think that the other part is we're also very collaborative. It's in our nature. Right. Medicine, right. as you know, uh, many industries are, is a team sport. And it's really hard to take care of a human being single-handedly. So it's always going to be part, uh, you know, we're always going to be part of the team. And it's really nice of you to kind of validate what we aim to aim to provide in patient care. So thank you. Yeah, that's what I've seen it. And I, I actually had a friend of mine that was a physician's assistant and she wound up going back to school and becoming a doctor. But I liked that she started as a PA yeah. because it wound up 
um, it just made her more empathetic and more rounded as a doctor. So I just am a fan of PAs. I've had really good experiences in the United States, but this isn't just in the United States no, as well. Actually, we're very, ha- I'm very happy and proud to know that our profession is, has been going global for a number of years now. We have PA programs in the UK and Ireland and um, a number of countries in Africa. So it really is something that, you know, the PA profession was born out of a need for workforce shortages. And that's exactly what we're doing at, in these other countries at, at a global level. It, you, we don't have enough um, healthcare providers to take care of our growing global population. Um, and that's- I agree. Problem, you know? Uh, and of course, we all- <laughs> sort of survived COVID-19, yeah. not all of us, a lot of losses. But I remember in the United States when we were talking about, we have to be careful about under, o- overrunning our medical yeah. capabilities. And I'm thinking, well, what do you mean? Well, sadly, we got to watch that happen as our medical professionals got slammed. I know that I lost two brothers, my husband too, but two brothers during that time, one of them specifically because our medical was overrun. They couldn't get him a bed. It wasn't, they weren't trying. So um, I feel very, very grateful for people like you. And I know you also are a professor. So you are not just a PA, you are teaching other people to be PA and to be really focused on digital health. So I, first of all, I want to thank y'all for all that y'all walked during COVID-19. It was chilling to watch it from your perspectives. So yeah, and I'm sorry for your loss, but yes, you know, I think one of the, th- I am a professor, I am, I'm a professor and vice chair of innovation at the University of Pittsburgh in the department of PA studies. And one of the things, that, one of my callings to academia and teaching was that, you know, really there's, there's, it's partly selfish and partly uh, pay it forward, right? The pay it forward is, how do you train the next generation, right? Like it's, it's really important. Someone's got to do it. And to me, it's the gratification that I get when students kind of get a concept or grow and learn from something that they hadn't thought of before. Um, and in our doctoral program, where we focus on quality improvement, that's exactly the, ki- the kinds of things that you probably see as a patient when you walk into a clinic or a hospital and the things that are, you know, needing to be improved. And so in the doctoral program, we focus on quality improvement, but in the PA program, we're also training the future providers, the ones who, and this is the selfish part, who are going to take care of me when I'm a cranky old lady, right? So, so I right. need them to be really good at what they're doing. And so that is partly selfish, partly pay it forward. And I really think that it's important that we bring that level of empathy to a visit, whether it's a face-to-face encounter or a virtual encounter, as is the case, you know, in um, in the post-pandemic world, I guess, which is becoming right. warm. Yeah. I will also tell you just once again, from my personal experience, I have a, a daughter with Down syndrome. She's 35 now. And um, unfortunately, she got into some pretty serious medical, a pretty serious medical situation. But I also found that the PAs working with her seemed to be better at understanding who she was as an individual with Down syndrome and that it was bigger than who she was so much more than that. And I saw the empathy 
and um, care handled in a different way. I actually, um, there was a PA that was involved in when we found out what was wrong with my daughter. I remember telling the doctor when they're like, okay, we're going to let you go. And it's like, please, please, please don't, please don't take it make us leave the hospital because I don't know what's wrong with her. And so it was interesting, like you said, the collaboration that worked, trying to get from her information when she just didn't know what to tell us. We're trying to get her to tell us what her pain level was when there was a little whiteboard with a couple little black faces on, I mean, black circles on it that you know, sense of her. Right. It made absolutely no sense to her. And so, and she also likes to tell you what you want to hear. So she was trying, anyway, it was, there's such complexity to these things. And and that's why, once again, my family has personally had very, very good, good uh, results by working with PA. So I just wanted to say that a little bit more. (laughs) Thank you. And, you know, I will say, I think digital health in this role is in your experience. Like imagine if we had had some of the resources that technology has allowed us to have now or is going to allow us to have um, and how much not easier, but I think different and perhaps yeah. more approachable the care would have been for you as a mother. And a right. right. And maybe a little easier too, because the yeah. reality was it was so intense. And I remember the second time she came back in the hospital in an emergency situation, it was Thanksgiving day in the United States. And people were saying, oh, I'm so sorry you're in the hospital. And I'm like, I am so glad that we are in the hospital. There was no place I wanted to be more than the hospital that day. Yeah. Because these beautiful souls surrounded us and just helped us. So anyway. Sorry. So I just want, I think we forget sometimes to be grateful for the medical professionals surrounding us and that y'all are also walking all this with us. human. Yes. Right. Right. And And yeah. Yeah. Having losses. I don't think we're any more superhuman than anyone else is, but yes, you forget that we're human sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, in the and what everybody's walking. So, but you talk a lot about digital health. And I want to say before the pandemic, we were talking about digital health. We were talking about virtual. We were talking lots of talking going on, but we still didn't think it was possible until we had no choice but to do it. So one thing I would be curious about is how has digital health sort of shifted and changed, especially from your perspective as, you know, someone that is practiced as a PA and also teaching our future PAs? Um, I think think you've nailed it, which is we talked about it. We were like, oh, in theory, this sounds nice. I don't know if we can do it. I don't know if people will like it. You know, I, I would much rather go somewhere and have someone lay hands on me for a physical exam and have them listen to my, you know, heart and lungs with a a stethoscope until we had no choice. And I think, unfortunately, or fortunately, I I think, uh, you know, the pandemic um, has both aspects of it, which is um, it pushed all of us as a society, as a culture, as healthcare providers, as consumers of healthcare to say, okay, we have to do this now. And that was the inflection point that I think allowed the healthcare industry, the tech industry, everyone to say, we're going to have to do this. Even academia, right? Going from lecturing in person to say, you have to be in your seat for the, what you know, for this particular lecture. And now it's like, I'm going to just have to do this via Zoom because I need you to have the information. So it impacted every industry. And so digital health has 
it, and, and it's one thing that it's proven to me, and I think probably to a lot of consumers, is that we have the ability to, we just chose not to. Hmm. Right? I know. Um, yeah. It's like we're real fast considering you know how to do it. Yeah. Right. What? And there, there are some, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect right now. Obviously, it's far from it. And we're at the, we're at the very early stages of what it's going to evolve into over the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. But I think it's that push that we needed. Like, it's like a teenager. Like, you need that push to say, you need to do this. Like, it's good. It's good for you. Right. Um, and I think we got that through through the pandemic. And I think it has allowed us to really harness all the devices that are in our homes, devices that we wear to track ourselves um, and to really harness them to improve healthcare for all of us, right? And make it accessible for all of us. It has potential to really increase accessibility across the board, no matter what your disease process is or lack of disease process, right? How do you maintain being healthy? We would rather as a society uh, and as a, as a provider, I would rather help you prevent things than have you show up in the hospital when you are in really, really sick, right? And I think digital, uh, digital health and the technology around it has the potential to do that. And I think it's doing it. Uh, baby right. steps. We're in healthcare. We're a little wary of kind of going all in, so we take baby steps. So it's fine, you know. Right. And, and it's also interesting that um, you're using the word accessibility. Once again, when I heard her talk, she blew me away. I was like, oh, wow, I've got to introduce her to the world. But it's, you know, one thing I believe the medical profession understands is that you're treating human beings and there are other professions. We haven't gotten that yet. We haven't gotten it that everybody should be included. But I believe y'all understand everybody gets included. Like you said, even if it's that help me stay healthier, I don't want to, you know, so I just think that's such an important point because it's not as if the medical profession ever got to pick and choose who they were going to treat. Right. No, and I I agree. And by the way, if I may put a finer point on that accessibility piece is that digital health allows you to personalize that accessibility, whatever that means to you, or even whatever healthy means to you, right? Like healthy to me is completely different from healthy to you, right? Our diets may be different. Our cultures may be different. Our um, our um, uh, environments of where we live, right? East coast, West coast kind of right. completely right. different. And what I'm able to do in terms of exercise is very different than what you'll be able to do. And so I think personalizing preventive care and preventive medicine. And I think that's the, that's the promise of digital health and with accessibility in mind for all of us. Right. And when you use the word digital health, yeah. are you using, are you also meaning telemed? Yeah. Yeah. So digital health broadly is an umbrella that includes the apps, the software, the wearable devices like our smart smartwatches and Fitbits and things like that, um, electronic health records, all of that remote patient monitoring, it includes all of those things under one umbrella. But then that's like the technical definition, but then there's a cultural definition, right? What does it do for us culturally, right? It, it kind of democratizes the relationship between the patient and the, and the, the patient and the provider, right? Um, before, um, and I'm happy to say this was before my time or slightly before my time, which is 
Um, it was more of a hierarchical relationship, right? I'm the provider. I tell you what to do and you do this. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, as a patient, yes. like that, I know what's better. Right. And right. I think right. we've shifted from that. I think my, my, at least my entire career, we've kind of, you know, hobbled along that path to kind of making that relationship a little bit more uh, even. And I think digital health is doing that. It's including the patient in the decision-making. Does this work for you? Is this something now? There are some things that obviously we have the knowledge as healthcare professionals and we'll say, here are the five things, what do you think? And you know, and that again, that's part of that shared decision-making process. The other part is really embracing the fact that technology is shifting from hospital to home. Right, right. Um, you don't have to go to a clinic to get, to get your blood pressure checked. Right, right. right. You can do that at home and then put it into the computer or on an app, and then your provider can look at it and say, okay, good job, or let's adjust right. your nets, or let's get on a telehealth visit and see what we can do. Um, so that kind of, uh, and so that really, that those two things, right, moving care from hospital to home, and that shared decision-making, I think are at the core of digital health. And technology is allowing us to do that. It's making right. the care accessible to where you are, no matter where you are. Now, which you love that, yeah. and, and that uh, that goes into some challenges that we also have from a policy and regulatory perspective, which we can also talk about if that was your next question. No, no, no. But nope, I was, and I was going to give you another big issue to to, yeah, to deal. With. But I just want to, before we leave this, the positiveness of this is that. Um, also, let's not use our medical professions to take our blood pressure and take our temperatures. If there are things we can do by ourselves, let's use their name, their brains and their knowledge to help us learn what we shouldn't be doing. And also, I always I think we also have to be very honest with our medical professions. And if you I think sometimes we don't want to tell our medical professions certain things. We don't want them to judge us or blood. But if they don't have all the data, right. they can't really help us anyway. I know that's an ongoing thing, but. Be, as we move to the the gaps and the opportunities and the issues, I'm going to tell you one right away that I've experienced. And we, you and I both live in the, this wonderful, beautiful United States, you know, country. And um, but the reality still for us here in the States, and this gets worse in other countries, 50 um, percent of the um, people in the United States do not ha have access to high speed Internet, right. high speed, affordable Internet. It's a yeah. huge issue. I live in rural Virginia and they're trying to get me good access, but I have horrible access. And so actually I've done the telemeds before where I hung up on my doctor who is the greatest soul in the world, but a bunch of times. And so we still do have gaps in, um, you know, gaps and exclusion because we are really rethinking our entire world. And I know there's others, but I just wanted to no, point out that's one of them. I will say that's definitely one of them. And it's probably one of the most important ones. Like if you can't connect, right. other things are not going to matter and are not going to happen, right? So you're yeah. absolutely right. Infrastructure, like systems infrastructure across the board. Um, and yes, it's an issue in the US. It's actually an issue globally. Um, yes. And really, this is something where partnering with uh, policy regulation and systems with industry, right? Government and industry should come together to address this. And I think there is some traction being happen, uh, happening around uh, infrastructure um, bills, but you're absolutely right. Like um, the other issues, so we talked about systems, right? And so as we talk about connectivity and access, 
it's also about interoperability, right? You can build a platform, like if you already have one, but if they don't talk to each other, if it's not compatible with my smartphone, then there's really, you know, it's not, it's not going to work. So systems is one kind of bucket. Um, there's two other buckets that I kind of like to think of uh, as issues. So systems is one, then workforce training is another. And that's the bucket that like, that I strive to kind of make my mark, mark in and really try to work to uh, enforce that, which is lack of training of uh, clinicians, lack of training of educators, um, lack of investment from uh, organizations on those training modules, right? Um, and again, it's not, it's not a criticism, but it's something where there is room for improvement in these, in these areas. And because we're, it's a new field, um, I, I think back to when CAT scans first became available and you were, you know, you were like, oh, should I order one? Should I not order one? I don't right. know. Like, you know, and now, you know, it's pretty routine, depending on your complaint, to get a CAT scan to kind of get imaging. And then having a radiologist kind of learn how to read it, right? You had to train them to read it. Like, so, mm -hmm. um, so I think I akin it to kind of that where, where there's a, a learning curve for all of us. And some of us are um, kind of being thrown in it as we all were in the pandemic. Uh, and we kind of learned to embrace it as part of our normal work. Some of us are reluctantly kind of following it and some of them are, some of us are leading it. And so I think there's room to grow in all aspects of it. So workforce is another, uh, and it doesn't help that there's a workforce shortage that's, that is existing and is, um, you know, forecasted. Uh, yeah, this is a global right. issue, you know. Um, and then yes. the last one, which I, which I think you also touched upon, is the policy, regulatory, and legal aspects of it, right? right. So it's like, um, although we've had a lot of the regulations kind of um, were dampened down during the pandemic, so like if you were in California, although you reside in uh, Virginia, you could potentially still see your doctor. We don't right. know what that's going to be like once the emergency regs kind of expire, right? And so these are conversations that we need to be having and policies and regulations that we need to start implementing. Um, it's easier said than done. We have 50 states, 50 jurisdictions. Every state wants to do it their own way. So mm -hmm. we really have to make sure that we thoughtfully um, implement policy that is married with the legal aspects of uh of clinical practice. So there's lots of work to do both within I, the borders of the US as well as globally. And, you know, we have, uh, there's plenty of work to be done in this space because it's so new. But we have to do it together. And I also, I always like to remind the audience, we are the United States. We have states' rights. And yes, we do have federal rights, but we are the United States. And so our states' rights are very important to us as a country. Okay. I also want to say, along with some of the issues, and this is just something that we, we know is a problem, and I just bring up, and that there is a, um, a fear of technology by um, certain groups in our, you know, a lot of times people like me that are older, um, there is a fear of technology and there's a fear of that the technology is going to take away our rights or it's just something to point out that they also are going to have to deal with the fear of technology. I, I saw an article today that was wonderful about what we could use our Apple watches for um, to make sure that we're staying healthy with if you have diabetes. And 
it's so important to do that. And I'm so happy, but at the same time, there's many, many people that can't afford an Apple watch or any other watches. And so we've got to always make sure we're considering that digital divide. Absolutely. Um, right. And this, is, and this is where, you know, and I would even go further where we talk about uh, social determinants of health, where, you know, if that falls under, what can you afford? If you can't afford, a, I forget a, a smartwatch, a glucometer, right? right? How are you going to take care of yourself? And so we need to make sure that we make all of these technologies accessible financially, but right. uh, but also from a policy perspective. It, you know, the way I look at it is if I can give you a $20 glucometer and it's going to impact your sugars and your overall health, that's let you are less likely to end up in the emergency room where the cost is going to be so much higher on the, on the back end of it. Right. And so that's where we go, where I was saying like preventive medicine is like, we mm -hmm. need to meet, we need to uh, invest more and early into these preventive and screening measures and use digital health as the tool to do that. Um, and, that and digital health because of telehealth, because of the accessibility and internet connectivity in most parts of the country, not all, but that has increased the number, the likelihood of someone visiting their oh. right oh good um good so the other part is then you you also have to think about this disease process whatever it may be or wellness whatever what uh, whatever condition you may have from a healthcare lens is that you as a patient live with that every single day 365 days a year right how many times do you actually historically see your provider for your disease once, right. maybe twice a year. That's the traditional model, right? I, I agree. And you had to go, right? Like you have to go there, take a half a day off, or if, if it's your child, take half a day out, get them out of school and go see them. That's going away, right? That's, that is allowing you to access care at your timeline, in your time frame, the way you can get there. I don't, I've had televisits. I've had my kids on televisits. It's been really nice to not take a day. Yeah. Oh yeah. And not pay for parking and not look for parking and all of these yeah. other things that go along with it. So my thing is, is that for a disease that you live with every single day of the year, and I'm only going to see you once or twice, how much of an impact am I really going to make? Versus if you have that and you can send me your blood sugar readings on right. a weekly basis, I can make decisions almost on a weekly basis for you as a person. Wow. And that is so powerful. I, I know that I promised to only keep you on 30 minutes, but I, I have, because you're a professor, I know you have all the answers to this next uh, lesson. I don't know about that, but I'll try. <laughs> well, so artificial intelligence is just going to come and take all of the medical profession jobs, and we're just going to be dealing with robots. I was just curious uh, um, if you. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm going to I, I say that uh, don't panic. I think <laughs> that's basically the takeaway message. Um, yeah. I don't think so. I, I don't. I, yeah. I mean, first of all, it's it's a machine. And the machine is only as good as the humans who trained it, right? Yes. Um, and by the way, the machine is not going to be able to give you the empathy and the sympathy and the human touch that is so needed in these visits, whether it's virtual or in person, right? I agree. Um, I agree. And so I think... I don't think our jobs are going anywhere. I do think our jobs are going to shift. 
Like yes. our responsibilities are going to change. I think right. the way we care for patients is going to change. Um, thankfully, actually, I think a lot of patients are willing to, to lead that change and be accepting of that change. And so I think, I don't think we are uh, going to be wiped away by a chat bot and um, <laughs> is not going to take away. Um, you know, I, ha- I have this, I have this saying that, uh, that, um, that I've kind of been pl- uh, playing around with my head. It's like sensors will not replace senses. Electronics Ooh, will not replace embraces and screens will not replace smiles, but it yeah. is going to change how we share those experiences. And that's true for personal as well as uh, provider, like that health, the patient provider relationship. So no, right. there's no way um, you're, you're always going to need a human being to look at. And, and by the way, AI, although we're in the very early stages of what AI can do in healthcare, yes. um, it, you know, there is bias in a lot of uh, AI. I know. Humans, and we're not out of the woods yet. And this is where I feel like when you think, you know, I, I was saying one of the questions that I was toying with is like, how is, as I just said, how is our profession going to change? How is the industry going to change? I think we're going to end up with new positions. We're going to need people with deep who are machine learning experts, deep learning experts. I agree. Um, are the roles of patient navigators are going to become even more important. Oh, I agree. I agree. And think about VR, virtual reality and augmented reality therapies. Um, yeah. Like all of these things are going to be new professions that are going to come to light from this particular um, umbrella of digital health. And I think it's for the better. I agree. You know, you made me think of something that I said to my son when he was um, when he was like 12 or 13 and he was really enjoying playing his video games. And I was saying, it's not as if you can get a job playing video. Oh, you actually can't get a job. I know. You actually can. Right. You could create video, you know, for the medical field. It's yeah, it's really shifting and changing. And um, and as as you mentioned, the unconscious and the conscious bias yeah. being programmed right into our artificial artificial intelligence is troubling. But as you also said, we're all looking at it and thinking about it. I, I, I have told this story before on the show, but there was an artificial seal that was created so that um, it could help people in nursing homes be less lonely. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you use this cute little seal. It's really cute and everything and talk to it. Well, they found that it did not actually help the individuals be less lonely, but what happened surprised them in that as this person in a nursing home was playing with this artificial intelligence, the other human beings in the room were like, what is that? And they went over to find out what it was and they started engaging with the human being that was playing with the artificial intelligence and that helped with the loneliness factor. So I just that. will always be paramount. And I, and I think that's the, that's the takeaway. We, no matter how, as, and I think what your, what your example highlights perfectly is that the AI can facilitate human connection, right? And that's, that's the key. 
So well, no jobs. <laughs> that's right. And I know that I said I would keep you, let you go at thirty minutes, but this is what I would like to do. I would like to give you the final words, and then I would like to please ask you to please come back on the show in a few months and give us an update because we want to be here to help you. We need to get behind people like you that are really doing major social change around the world. So, um, and so I want you in your final, you know, uh, comments today, let us know. I, I mean, we represent, I'm representing the, as many others, the community of persons with disabilities that really, really, really want to be included. So how do we help you? Will you please come back on the show regularly and talk about what you're doing? Because I just think you stand out. Thank I think you, you really so stand much out. Better. And first of all, thank you so much for inviting me and giving me a platform to talk about digital health. It's a passion of mine, uh, as is education. So it's really, really nice to have um, something I enjoy talking about being highlighted. But I think, um, you know, the ways to help are really uh, engaging with digital health technologies in your day-to-day life. And if you have the opportunity to give feedback on a device, on a piece of software, on um, a telehealth encounter, take that opportunity because, you know, as we are in the early stages of developing a lot of these technologies and platforms, there isn't a lot of evidence out there right now. We're building that evidence and we're going to get better and better at it, but we need data. We need We need that shared decision-making with our patients and with the consumers who are going to be using it. I can have the greatest idea in the world, but if it doesn't work for you, then it's not not worth anything, right? So really looking at giving that feedback on, yeah, I use this app or I use this piece of software and, you know, it made me feel X, Y, Z, right? Looking at it from, as you do, from a a lens of, and as I, I do as well, patient safety, equity, right. accessibility, all of those things, um, we have the promise of digital health kind of doing it. And we have to walk that fine line, right? This can also go awry, uh, you know, as, as what was it, was it Spider-Man who said, you know, uh, in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Right. So in the same way, we have to be able to use this in a responsible fashion. And I think um, equity, accessibility, all of those things should be paramount as we build this next platform of healthcare. I agree. And I will also say anybody out there wanting to fund digital, um, you know, health, here's an opportunity here. She works for a university. We need research. We need dollars. We need help. And we need it given to the people that care about us. Sorry, but it's just true. So this is an opportunity. So speaking of that opportunity, um, how would somebody get hold of you? Yes. I know you don't give your email or your phone number, but give me your LinkedIn, just a warning. Every once in a while people give their phone numbers. I'm like, please don't do that. Yes, <laughs> I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can connect. And um, if you just put in Deepu Patel, it's D-I-P-U. P-A-T-E-L. Um, you, you'll see my picture and I'd love to connect with you and I'd love to talk to anyone who's interested in kind of learning more and I'd love to give back. So if you're interested right. in growing with me or helping you grow, I'm, I'd love to help in any way I can. So, and thank you so much Deborah, for taking the time. Yes. And she's going to come back on. So we'll definitely get her on regularly because we want to know what they're doing and we want to help them. And, and all questions, if there's questions that you want, that you want me to answer, by all means, send them to uh, send them to both of us. 
I agree. I agree. And if you can't find her, just come to me and I'll pop you. <laughs> but, um, but she is very easy to find on LinkedIn. And um, But thank you so much for your work. We're so grateful and appreciate that everything you're doing is working so hard to include us. We don't always see that. So we're very grateful for the leaders that are leading us and teaching others to include us. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Human Potential at Work. To learn more about Rue Global Impact, visit rueglobal.com. And to learn more about Billion Strong, an identity and empowerment organization designed to bring the billions of voices of persons with disabilities together, you can join the global community and donate at billion-strong.org. That's billion-strong.org.